0: As I'm sure you will recall in our last podcast, I promised to address...
1: The attempted assassination of Theodore Roosevelt during the election of 1912.
0: You really must be a mind reader.
1: Well, ever since I heard about the attempted assassination, I've been tempted to do my own research. So can we please hurry up? I have some questions I need to answer. I know. Who did it? Why did they do it? And what happened to Roosevelt?
0: Wow. Well, you are really excited about this topic. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Even better, you sound just like a historian with your who, what, why, when, and how questions. Thank you. Before we jump into the attempted assassination, we have to launch our theme song.
1: And address historical context, of
0: course. Could not have said it better. Our theme song for this podcast, maybe the best one yet, is Hit Me With Your Best Shot by Pat Benatar. You can find it on her Crimes of Passion LP. Is it
1: true that she said fashion trends in the 80s?
0: Yeah, definitely. There was a Pat Benatar look for sure. Of course, I didn't experience it myself since I wasn't born yet.
1: Of course.
0: Well, are you ready to be blown away with this 1980 classic? Is that a question?
1: Let's hear it.
0: Let's go. what did you think?
1: Awesome job. When are you going on your world tour?
0: (laughs) I hope soon.
1: And Stephanie Whelan definitely seems to be channeling Pat Benatar.
0: I agree. Okay, let's tackle the historical context. First, it's important to understand that attempted assassinations and successful assassinations of political figures, especially American presidents, dates back to 1835. After attending a funeral at the United States Capitol, President Andrew Jackson was leaving when he was confronted by an unemployed painter. The man, only 10 feet away, shot at the president, but the weapon misfired. The 67-year-old Jackson saw this and moved towards the assassin. Incredibly, the man pulled out another pistol and fired at point-blank range, but the second weapon misfired as well. Jackson did get a few wallops in with his cane before the man was taken away. Interestingly enough, the attorney representing the government was Francis Scott Key.
1: Really? Isn't he the guy that wrote the Star Spangled Banner?
0: Yes, he is. Oh, my gosh. In the end, Richard Lawrence, the attempted assassin, was found to be insane. During his trial, Lawrence said,
1: It is for me, gentlemen, to pass judgment on you, and not you upon me. Wow.
0: Mm, Bold statement. He died in a government hospital in 1861. Unfortunately, since 1835, there has been three more attempted uh, presidential assassinations. More regrettably, there has been four successful.
1: Hmm. Well, I know about Lincoln and Kennedy. but There's more?
0: Yes. James Garfield and, of course, William McKinley were also killed while in office.
1: That's right. And Teddy Roosevelt was the vice president for McKinley. It does seem odd that Americans would want to kill a person that they elected. I mean,
0: it's a democracy, right? Well, actually, we're a democratic republic, which is different, (laughs) but I get your point. So with this knowledge that assassinations of presidents could and did happen, a fact that Teddy Roosevelt knew only too well, we need to just do a quick review of the election of 1912. Let's see what you remember from our last podcast. Who was running for president and what party did each candidate represent?
1: Well, the election was unique because four candidates were running. Good. Um well Teddy Roosevelt, of course, who was running under the Bull Moose Party, the Progressive Party. Uh Woodrow Wilson, who was Democrat, right? Yep. Um
0: William Howard Taft, a Republican.
1: Oh, that's right. The the bathtub. That's <laughs> I always forget him.
0: Yeah, you're not the only one that does either. And who's the last one?
1: I do remember this. It was Eugene Debs, Uh, a socialist.
0: Yeah, you got it. So three out of four. Mm -hmm. The election was important because it was essentially a referendum on the role of government in American society. Both the new nationalism that Teddy Roosevelt uh, promoted and the new freedom, which Woodrow Wilson promoted, were platforms that set expectations that the federal government be an activist institution for better which I believe, or worse, this election changed America forever. Mm -hmm. With that historical context behind us, let's meet the star of the podcast, Theodore Roosevelt, or who I often refer to as T.R. From the many books I have read about T.R., he was a unique politician. What he said, he did. For example, his most famous quote is,
1: The man who is actually in the arena whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs and comes up short again and again, because there is no effort without error or shortcoming, but who knows the great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself for a worthy cause, who, at the best, knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who, at the worst, if he fails, at least he fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who knew neither victory nor defeat.
0: This is arguably the greatest quote by (laughs) any president. It's really good. It's also a very long one. (laughs) But what makes this even more perfect is that during the election of 1912, he really lived by those words. On uh, October 9th, according to historian Edmund Morris, T.R. gave 30 speeches alone.
1: In just one day?
0: Yes, By the time he arrived in Chicago on the 13th, his voice was... Barely above a whisper. He took the day off to rest his voice, but even then his doctor, Terrell, asked T.R. to cancel the speech in Milwaukee scheduled for the next day. T.R. told the doctor that even if he could not speak, at least the people of Milwaukee could see him. On October 14th, T.R. arrived at the Gilpatrick Hotel which is now a uh, Hyatt, on North 3rd Street. Before going to the speech, he took a nap, something he rarely did, and ate dinner alone, avoiding conversation, something he really hated to do. (laughs) Unbeknownst to TR, he had been trailed. John Schrenk, a 36-year-old bartender from New York, had traveled over 2,000 miles through eight states to confront Roosevelt. Why? Well, one of Shrank's hobbies was studying the United States Constitution.
1: Hmm, interesting.
0: Based on his studies, he believed that his it was his duty to protect the Constitution if somebody should attempt to violate it. Seeking a third term, as TR was doing, was enough for Shrank to put a plan into place to kill the former president.
1: No way. Way. Yeah.
0: Moreover, one of Schrank's dreams, he claimed that the pres- President McKinley sat up in his casket and pointed to Roosevelt, saying,
1: This is my murder, avenge
0: my death. That night, Schrank wrote a poem that read in part,
1: As long as you can, then face it and be a man.
0: Schrank was ready to confront Roosevelt. He, was, he waited at the Gilpatrick Hotel with his Colt 38 revolver locked and loaded oh my gosh around 8 pm roosevelt exited the gilpatrick hotel before he did he put on his heavy army coat rolled up his 50 page speech and placing the speech and his metal eye case in his breast pocket tr walked out of the hotel with his bodyguard all seemed well seeing the crowd outside the hotel roosevelt entered the topless vehicle. Acknowledging the crowd, Roosevelt stood up and turned around, taking off his hat and then waving. Shrank jumped at this opportunity to push himself forward, getting within six feet of the ex-president. Albert Martin, TR's stenographer, was the first to see the gun. Martin, a former football player, leaped at shrank as he fired. The bullet hit TR in the chest, going through his coat his eye case, and his speech. At first, T.R. was not sure he had been hit. One passenger in the car thought,
1: He'll never get up again.
0: T.R. being T.R. did get up. (laughs) In fact, his reaction is somewhat perplexing. When T.R. noticed that Martin had Shrank in a headlock, he said,
1: Don't hurt him. Bring him to me.
0: As Martin did so, he gave Roosevelt the gun. T.R. took Shrank's head in his hands Looked into the assailant's eyes and asked,
1: What did you do it for?
0: Pretty sure if someone had shot me, I wouldn't be asking that question. (laughs) I
1: don't mean either.
0: When the crowd understood that Schrank had fired on Roosevelt, they began to yell,
1: Lynch him, kill him.
0: Teddy Roosevelt declared,
1: Officers take charge of him and see that no violence is done to him. Wow, that's, a, that's an amazing story. I really can't believe that I've never heard it before.
0: Wait, do you think the story is over?
1: Well, I, I guess. Roosevelt shot. Um, they've got the guy who shot him in custody of police, and I'm sure Roosevelt left to go to the hospital or to get medical treatment, right?
0: Two for three isn't bad. Roosevelt wasn't going to the hospital when he had a speech to give.
1: No, <laughs> you're making that up. There's no way he would give a speech after being shot.
0: I know it's hard to believe, but you know what they say. History is sometimes stranger than fiction.
1: Oh, my gosh. All right, tell me more.
0: (laughs) Okay. Well, while the police were taking Schrank to the police station, Roosevelt demanded to go to the auditorium. His doctor did ask him if he had been hit. Roosevelt found a hole in his coat When he pulled out his hand, he noticed blood. Seeing the blood, Roosevelt said,
1: He pinked me. What does that mean? He shot me. okay.
0: Dr. Uh, Terrell told the driver to go to the hospital. TR refused, saying, You
1: get me to that speech.
0: When Roosevelt got to the auditorium, the doctor examined him and found a hole the size of a dime, but no bullet. The bleeding had stopped, but T.R.'s right side had turned black. He told the doctor that he had no problem breathing. Terrell asked uh, T.R. to go to the hospital again. He said,
1: No, gentlemen, let's go in.
0: Before entering the stage, he pulled out a speech, noticing a hole in it. When the crowd was told that Roosevelt had been shot, a man in the crowd shouted, Fake, fake. Roosevelt showed his shirt to the audience, which had a blood stain about the size of a hand.
1: Wow. Oh, I see you have a picture of it there. Oh my gosh, that looks like a lot of blood. Please tell me he's going to go to the hospital now.
0: Sorry, he still has a speech to give. <laughs> he began his speech by declaring
1: It takes more than that to kill a bull moose. Oh my gosh, that is amazing.
0: As the audience cheered him, T.R.'s staff positioned men in front and back of him, hoping to catch Roosevelt if he fell. At one point in his speech, an elderly woman asked him to sit down. T.R. responded by saying,
1: I thank you, madam, but I don't mind it a bit.
0: (laughs) At another point, Roosevelt looked like he was going to collapse. He stopped his speech, asked his doctor how long he had been speaking. Terrell responded, About 45 minutes.
1: Oh, my gosh. Really?
0: Roosevelt smiled and said,
1: I'll talk for a quarter hour more.
0: And that's exactly what he did. Historians believe he spoke for about 84 minutes before going to the hospital. Oddly enough, when TR attempted to leave the building, the audience surged at him. At about 10 p.m., Roosevelt finally was on his way to the hospital. When he arrived, he sent a telegram to his wife, who was in New York, he told his wife the wound was
1: trivial
0: and that he was in
1: excellent shape.
0: Of course, none of that was true. <laughs> After some x-rays, it was determined that Roosevelt should be moved to Chicago's Mercy Hospital. Back on his private coach, the Mayflower, T.R. arrived in Chicago at 3.30 a.m. On the way, he ain't and even shaved before going to sleep. The x-rays show that the bullet was only inches from his heart.
1: Oh, my gosh. Oh,
0: my gosh. During his time at Mercy, he received thousands of telegrams. He responded to about 2,000 of them. (laughs) His favorite telegram came from Vincent Baldwin, who wrote,
1: Dear Mr. Roosevelt, I hope you are getting on nicely, for I want you to be our president. If I was a man, I'd help you, and I'd work hard for you. And tell the people how good you are, but I'm only 10 years old. I am sending money I made selling flowers to help you, $10, and I want you to keep it. I pray every night that you will soon be well, and I know that God is helping you. My brother, who is five, prays too.
0: Of course, Roosevelt dedicated a reply and signed it. After spending a week in the hospital, T.R. returned home in time to celebrate his 54th birthday. He even gave a speech at Madison Square Garden in late October to a crowd of 16,000. They played one of his favorite songs.
1: Hit me with your best shot?
0: No. <laughs> Onward, Christian Soldiers.
1: <laughs> Close. <Yeah. laughs>
0: the crowd gave him a standing ovation that lasted 40 minutes. Oh, my gosh. On October 5th, Roosevelt found out that he had lost to Woodrow Wilson. Oh. As for John Schrank. He was happy to see Roosevelt lose, feeling somewhat vindicated. He was tried for attempted murder. Schrank was somewhat of a celebrity in jail.
1: Oh, I see. You have a picture of him here. He's standing next to a police officer, but they're both grinning. They look like they're best buddies or something.
0: (laughs) Yeah, very odd picture, right? At his trial, Schrank was found to be insane or mentally ill. When uh, told that Roosevelt had passed away in 1919, Schrank claimed...
1: Personally, I admired his greatness.
0: Schrenk lived in an asylum until his death in 1943. Interestingly enough, Roosevelt, Franklin, was running for a third term at the time. Thankfully, Schrank mm-hmm. wasn't able to influence this election, which FDR won. Schrenk's body was donated to Marquette's Univ- Marquette University's medical school.
1: I wonder if the students knew who they were you know, studying
0: uh, on. Probably doubtful, but we'll never know. (laughs) Well, I hate to turn the page, but it's that time again. My next podcast is yet to be determined. So many great stories to explore. Just can't decide which one to do first. A big thank you to Stan Gores, Edmund Morris, and once again, James Chase. Thanks, of course, to my partner pod- partner in podcasting, Melissa Basinger, and our guest singer, Stephanie Whalen. As one of our one of my favorite historical figures said,
1: Some people see things as they are and say why? I dream of things that never were and say why not.
0: Until next time.